this is your host, Lindsay Rowland. Today we have Chelsea Bush. She is a sister of PFC Austin Stump, a soldier with the 3rd Ranger Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment, who reportedly died by suicide on 25th August 2019. However, there are still many lingering questions. Chelsea is here to discuss her deep loss, inconsistencies with the Army's story, and her quest to find the truth. If anyone has information on this case and would like to share, please reach out to either one of us. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. So we could start out if you could tell me a little bit about your brother and then also your relationship with your brother and just kind of growing up and we'll start with, we'll start there. Okay. So Austin and I were three years apart. He is my only biological sibling. So that right there kind of gave us a bond. He's your favorite. Um, (laughs) He was. Yeah. Yeah. He had the most outgoing personality. I mean, I think the fact that we looked alike was really the only reason why people knew we were related because we were so different. I kind of compared us to like Anna and Elsa from Frozen. So (laughs) I was Elsa, like I worry about everything and I just like obsessively plan. And he was like, this carefree, didn't give, you know, a crap about anything, just doing his thing. He cared so deeply just for everybody. And that was evident in everything he did. So he always tried to make people laugh and just whatever he could do to kind of bring you up. I had surgery when he was stationed in Georgia. And I remember him calling my mom and, you know, I was like in and out of (laughs) sleep. And I just remember hearing her side of the conversation. And she's like, I'll have her call you when she wakes up, Austin. Like, she's okay. She's okay. And, And like, even from States away, he was checking up on you. So he was just literally the best person I ever knew. Where did you guys grow up at? We're from Bradenton, Florida. Okay. Tampa area. So how did, how did Austin end up in the army? He wanted to serve from probably the minute he was born. It was just something he always wanted to do. Our dad's a firefighter and that was really monumental in shaping both of us. And for Austin, he always knew he was going to serve the country. When 9-11 happened, I was in kindergarten and Austin was about two or three. And I remember it just really kind of catapulting him more so because he saw just such an injustice and he saw all the first responders and all of the civilians killed and he wanted to do something about it. So I think that really catapulted him. And he was just so proud to be an American and just so patriotic that he was going to, you know, kick in doors and defend against the bad guys. So he flipped back and forth. He had talked Air Force for a while, which my husband's Air Force. So my husband was like, yeah, come, you know, join us. And I was like, I don't really know. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to be boots on the ground in the middle of the crap. So he had flipped back and forth really between the Marines and the Army. And from the time he graduated high school to actually joining it took him two years to get into the army just between maps and medical and everything under the sun that prevented him but it was his dream it's what he wanted to do so he worked his butt off for it oh did he come in under the contract that he would go to ranger school I think he went in infantry and then was going to try to get a ranger contract once he was in there was some Yeah, it was something weird with maps. But did he complete ranger school? He did not. At the time of his death, he and another private were neck and neck. They were waiting to find out who was going to go or go back because he was recycled. Go to ranger school. This was their first time. So he was in a ranger regiment. How long had he been in that unit? Because he was pretty new, right? He had only been in the military about a year. So he had graduated basic and had graduated paratrooper 
and was just kind of in that weird holding for ranger school. But he had only been in, in for about a year total. Okay. And I would assume, and you probably know or don't know, I don't know, but like, I know those guys, like once, you know, they always go to airborne school. And then like, even if he didn't go to ranger school that time, I would assume that he would eventually go to ranger school because those guys have, you know, have to be tabbed to be in that regiment. So I don't know. And then, so can, so tell me a little bit about his, when he got in the military, what was he excited? Like how did basic go? Oh my gosh. We didn't hear much about basic. He didn't really talk about it. After he had passed, we had a few guys that were in with him that are out now. And one of, one of his buddies had mentioned that he had a really hard time in basic, but we don't say why. No, they won't tell us. It was just very strange. Austin never really talked much about basic. He did tell one of my other siblings who was considering going into the army. He was like, don't do it. But he Mm, never interesting never gave us a good reason. So something happened. I don't know what happened. So um, not to cut you off, but I should know this, but where is infantry basic at? Is it at Benning? Was it he is at Benning the whole time? Okay. So yeah. he, w- he went to Benning, he went to basic and then he would have gone, right. You said he went to airborne school, right? Yes. And then he was waiting for a ranger. Okay. I'm sorry. I'll let you continue. So, no, no, basic, no, no. So, so something's weird with basic. You're not sure. Something's weird with basic. I don't know what happened. Austin didn't talk about it. He didn't say anything. I know something weird happened, but overall he was exactly where he wanted to be. He was thrilled. He was living his dream, literally. Like this is what he had worked for his entire life. He was just over the moon. He was so excited, which is why it doesn't make sense. He was supposed to deploy in January. So he was about five months out from deploying and he couldn't wait to deploy. Like he was over the moon, which I know kind of sounds silly. No, those guys love that stuff. And even myself, like I was like, please deploy me. So I don't have to sit in garrison. And then we know it is hot and miserable at Benning. So yeah. Was he going to deploy with, or was he going to, was he going to go to Ranger school prior to deploying or were they going to deploy him without it? I don't know how it was going to work out. I'm not quite sure how far out they were from making that Ranger school selection. If it was deployment first, then selecting. They never really got into specifics on that. Where was the deployment to? We don't know. Okay. And when he was, did you ever go down to Benning and see him? Yes. I saw him once. So my husband stationed in Texas and during his basic training graduations and everything, we were here. So I actually only got to see him once in Benning and that was at his airborne graduation. Which is probably a pretty fun event they're all excited mm-hmm. and they get to put their wings on and yeah all right so to kind of fast forward it a little bit what happened what kind of happened surrounding the day that you found out that that Austin had died um, by suicide or apparent suicide so it was late August around the 20th and he two weeks prior had gone to a training event in Kansas and to go back farther, I guess I should start there. He had injured his knee a few months prior. I want to say probably June, maybe end of May. And he had been really on the fence. He didn't know if he was going to get to go to this training event. This was all he wanted to do. So he was like, we're going here. And it was kind of like his goal that he was working towards. I got to get better because I want to go to this training thing. So he had been cleared and he got to go. And I, it was like, end of July, beginning of August that he's at this training event. And I mean, this kid was like on top of the moon, like they're shooting mortars and all sorts of crazy, whatever they're doing up there. So he had just gotten back and on August 23rd, he had called me. Now he was supposed to be home on leave. He was supposed to be in and he had told us, oh, they canceled it, but don't worry. Labor day's next week and we'll get to go for that. Okay, cool. No problem. And so he had called me Friday and I missed his phone call. And I mean, like I called him within 30 seconds of it ending and he doesn't answer. And I'm like, okay, weird. And he texts me and he goes, Hey, it's no big deal. Mom, my per diem came in. Just let mom know. All right, fine, whatever. And so I texted him back and I said, well, are you ever going to call mom again? She tried to call you and you didn't answer the phone. 
And he goes, oh, probably not. And sends like the laughing faces. And I mean, this kid had a twisted sense of humor. So I didn't really think anything about it. And that was it. I mean, that's literally the last time I spoke to him. So we tried all day Saturday, couldn't get a hold of him. And by Saturday night, my mom's going, something's not right. So she gets on the computer and she goes, he didn't spend any money today. And I mean, this child spent money like probably every two hours because he just ate nonstop. She's like, I don't know. Something's weird. So all day Sunday, and of course we're monitoring his bank account and all sorts of things. And by 8 p.m. on the 25th, by this, like we are calling everybody we know in Benning. We're calling his buddies. We're calling security forces. I mean, we're just, we're calling anybody we can get a hold of at this point. And I mean, like I am yelling at the MP because she's like, I can't tell you anything. Because they probably didn't know anything because they're not right. Like now, you know, two years later, I'm like, I wonder if I should call her and apologize. <laughs> because like, I just, I laid into that poor woman because nobody would tell us anything. We couldn't get a hold of anybody. We couldn't get a hold of him. So we're like, okay. So my dad finally finds the number for the front desk of the Ranger Battalion or however they work it. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, I'll find out. I'll call you back in 10 minutes. Okay, cool. And we're going, sweet. Like, here we go. Finally, we're going to get some answers. We waited about an hour and we're like, I don't think he's calling back. So we called him back and the guy is crying on the phone and he goes, I can't talk to you. Okay. So by this point, I mean, it's late, probably 11, close to midnight. And we're like, all right, well, we're just going to go to bed. We couldn't do anything. Monday morning at 5 a.m., there's a knock on the door and it's a sheriff deputy and a casualty assistance officer in blues. He showed up to inform us that he had been found hanging in his barracks closet and everything just kind of stops and I couldn't figure it out. And I just remember probably two hours later falling apart and realizing, oh my gosh, I missed it. You know, he told me Friday, he wasn't going to call mom again. I missed it. You know, I just remember my dad hugging me and he's like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And, but I didn't think about it. You know, it, that was how he joked. So they flew him home. They told us that he had hung himself because a girl didn't like him back, didn't want to date him, and he had injured his knee. There was no note, nothing, and and that was it. The private who escorted his body home said, you know, I nobody really had a definitive answer, I guess. It was weird. So around... December, the private who had escorted him home was home on leave and had stopped by to see us. He lived a few towns uh, about 20 minutes away from where we live. And his story changed. And all of a sudden it went from, he had told us originally that Austin's roommate was deployed and, you know, nobody was there. Nobody had seen him. And then in December, he tells us that he was with the roommate all day in the roommate's room playing video games and they're knocking on the door and they're trying to get Austin to come out and Austin's not answering the door and he's not coming out. And they're like, Oh, you know, whatever. He's just, you know, in a mood or in a funk, whatever. And that's kind of when we started to question. I mean, we had questions previously when the story started to change. That's when it really kind of started to take off. Let me ask you a couple of questions. And again, I'm really sorry for your loss. I just can't even begin to relate because I can't imagine the pain that you have gone through. And I'm so sorry that we have to talk about this, but I just have so many questions. I just want to stop you there for a second. I was curious as to what your relationship was with CID. Did you talk to them? What was your relationship with whomever did the autopsy? What was your relationship with the unit? So if we could touch right after his death, and then I would like to go back like later on into like, what is your current relationship on those things? Okay. I never spoke with CID. My parents did the majority of that. My dad did. They never came down to ask us about him, what he was like, anything like that. They all kind of just did their thing. Never spoke to the gentleman that did the autopsy, never heard from him. We heard from the unit in the beginning. In September, they flew us up to Benning to do the platoon funeral. Um, it's only platoon? Something like that. Yeah. Because we had a celebration of life in Florida and then they did 
however they do it up there, the military, I guess, version. And that was about it. They spoke to us. They had the guys that came down when we did his celebration of life. And that was about it. You know, it was the typical, oh, you're always a ranger family. You're always a ranger mom, always a ranger sister. Yeah. Uh, what? Sorry, I'm a little uh, bitter, but like, yeah, what does that do for you now? I mean, yeah, uh, they, that's, we, we call that propaganda. <laughs> but, yeah. You know. Well, I mean, and in the moment, the problem is, you know, you are so vulnerable that you're like, oh my gosh, these people are going to be here for me, you know? And, and then they show up in these uniforms, which is a little intimidating. And they use these, this terminology and these acronyms. And it kind of, I would imagine it's just, whoa. And on top of right. that. Right. And that's the thing, you know, I remember getting a phone call from his like unit commander the day that we had found out the 25th or I'm sorry, the 26th, this is Sergeant or whatever his title was. And he's like, you know, I was Austin's commander. And I mean, I just remember falling apart on the phone. I don't even know what that man said other than his title and his name and, you know, that he was Austin's commander. And it is, it's overwhelming because it's, oh, this is Sergeant and this is Colonel. And you're like, I don't know who you are. And it is, they, but it, as far as relationships go, I mean, it was nice in the moment. Yeah. I, yeah, I could see that. And then were you able to talk to his friends? Like, I know you said that the one came over to your house and I want to get back to that in a second. Were you able to communicate with the soldiers that he served with, or were you sort of kept away from them? How did you feel about those interactions? And the people that came down to this memorial in Florida, mm-hmm. were they his friends or were they some, I'm sure that the army also sent a delegation. They sent us a, oh gosh, I don't even remember what they call him, but they sent somebody down to be with us when he was with us for a long time. And we do still have a relationship with him. He was fantastic. I guess he could be considered our delegate. I'm not, I don't remember what they called him. I, um, I, I, it's some sort of representative that is assigned to you. Right. Yeah. So, and he was, like I said, he was phenomenal, but I believe the men who did his, like the 21 salute and everything at his celebration, I believe they were members of his platoon, the celebration of life. They had them come down, do the salute and loaded them back in a van and put them on the plane. So we didn't really get to speak to them. When we were up there for the platoon funeral, they did give us a tour of his unit and we did get to speak to a few of the guys, but they were also doing their day-to-day things. So it almost felt like we were a school group going on tour of their, you know, vehicles and all of that stuff. It didn't really feel like we were up there as a grieving family. Did you get to see his barracks room? No. I'm just curious because I served in the military for 10 years and I don't I don't normally see closets in barracks rooms. They usually have like those other like the the chests they're European, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like a chest thing. So I was just curious. Right. I kind of I was interested. You said closet, and I would have to take a look at the barracks that he lived in. The mm-hmm. but I just wondered if there was a closet because I you don't see that much. The yeah, I closet. mean, and they could have been brand new barracks with like a whole new layout. I just mm-hmm. I know the ones in Germany and the ones at Fort Drum that I served under. They those they did not have. Yeah, no, this was a closet, which was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of the housing closets that we have on our base in Texas, where my husband's at. So were they like connected to, they were just like, were they a a separate set of furniture from the architecture or were they were actual closets? Yeah. I mean, from my understanding, it's an actual closet. Now I have not looked at crime scene photos, anything like that, but I have seen the diagrams and I have seen like he would send videos of his room and everything. And from what I can tell, it's an actual closet. Okay. Interesting. That kind of just struck me as odd. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you mentioned that the friend came over, but exactly when did the doubt start creeping in? And then when did you start kind of keeping a list of the doubts? So the doubt started creeping in not long after, because you couldn't really figure out a good reason, but it really said in December when his buddy had come down and spoken to us and the story was different. And I remember after he left the house, my mom turning to me and saying, that's a different story. And I said, what are you talking about? No, it's not. 
And she goes, yes, it is. He told us the roommate was deployed. And I mean, like I have still to this day, like no recollection from like August 26 to like October of 2019. So I really didn't remember the first story until she and I sat down and we went, oh yeah, okay. So probably December of 2019, we were kind of questioning, but we didn't really have anything to go off of. It's kind of, oh, okay. So we did not get his autopsy, his photos, crime scene photos, anything like that until about March of 2020. Now they had told us, this is a simple suicide, right? Here's the reasons why he killed himself. It's a done deal. They came down, they did their presentation and that was that. So it was kind of weird that it took them so long to get us everything. And they would not give us the information until my parents had filled out a freedom of information form, which kind of struck me as odd because they're his parents. Like, I feel like you would just be entitled to that. It wasn't random people asking for it. You know, it was his parents. Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. That could be standard procedure, but like, I'm I'm not sure. Right. And it might be, it might just be me, you know, picking up little things. Oh, Um, definitely. You were definitely picking up something. It struck me as odd. Mm -hmm. So they sent us everything. And like I said, you know, I will not look at autopsy, will not look at crime scene, but I have looked at the diagrams that they read, you know, drew up or whatever. And I thought it was weird because they found him seated with his butt on the floor and his back against the wall of the closet. And that right there kind of struck me as odd. His legs are outstretched and his hands are in his lap. And I'm like, okay, it's weird. I don't know how that's possible, but you know, I'm not a medical student or, you know, anything in the medical field. So I, I don't know. And I'm flipping through the reports because we're just trying to get the real story. You know, it's changed twice. The reports change it a third time. So I, to this day, don't even know what the real story is. And there's this picture and I'm going, okay, this is weird. And it's his end table. And you can tell there's like a monster can and a cologne bottle and all of these things. And they're all wrapped in something. And of course the picture I'm looking at is black and white. And so I call my mom over and I said, this is weird. I said, I need this in color. She goes, okay, you know, I have it on the computer in color. No big deal. She prints it out. And I said, why is this all wrapped? I said, it's wrapped in duct tape. And she goes, no, it's wrapped for packing. I said, okay, one, this is the crime scene. They weren't packing his thing. Two, this end table was like standard furniture in the barrack. We didn't get that back. And three, who wraps an empty like Red Bull or Monster can? You can very clearly tell what it is. So she kind of looks at it and she goes, oh my God, you're right. So that... Once we started digging, once we got the reports in front of us, that's when we started digging in and we started going, something's not right. We went back through his phone. What's weird about his phone is there are messages where Austin's entire side of the conversation have been deleted. One of his buddies who's actually out contacted my mom on Facebook, told her that he had gotten a message from Austin that weekend. I don't remember if it was the Friday or the Saturday. And he goes, I remember saying that it didn't sound like Austin. That wasn't Austin. Was this the same guy that was, I'm sorry to cut you off. Is that the same guy that visited the house? No. Okay. No, this is somebody that was in basic with Austin and had been medically discharged. And then he tells us that someone in the army called him and they scared him so badly with whatever they said that he deleted everything he had. And to this day, he will not tell us because he's terrified of something. I don't know what he's terrified of. He won't tell us. So it started to get really weird. We started piecing some things together. I found pictures on Austin's phone of there's a private that has his hands zip tied. And then you can see it's like a, almost looks like a pocket knife or whatever that they're going to like go at him with. There's pictures and we told the army, we said, this is hazing. This is clear evidence of hazing. And the army goes, no, 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 it's training. Right. 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 Um, But you know, that's how they train. Like we, we found out later that Austin probably shouldn't have told us like (laughs) so much of what he told us. 
but he was just an open book. He told us everything. So he had told us that the one day they had taken this. And now I do not know to what extent Austin was involved in this. I know he was there and they had balled him up and they had duct taped him and they had stuck a nose tube in his nose and then duct taped over this private's nose in his mouth. And Austin goes, I literally walked up and pulled the duct tape off. The guy couldn't breathe. So we're telling the army this when they're down doing this first presentation, you know, this isn't right. And I want to say they came down like June of 2020, I think. And they're like, oh no, no, that's training. When do you need duct tape in a medical field? Like, I understand if you're sticking nose tubes down people, you know, to practice, but why are they duct tape? Well, you know, and I was also thinking too, because a lot of times they will like that you'll hear about stories and we've seen cases before. Well, they, they will haze those who did not complete ranger school, you know, as a form of shaming, especially in a ranger battalion. But then I was also thinking that maybe perhaps there's some sort of like hazing in the beginning just to initiate you into the ranger battalion. I mean, I, my guess is as good as yours. I don't know. We, I was logistics and a foreign area officer. We don't haze anybody, mm-hmm. but the duct tape, that is seriously concerning. Why would there even be duct tape anywhere in that barracks? But, and then you right. saw the photos, right? I mean, I have a photo of this where I'm sitting here going, and, and why would they take a photo of it? Cause they you know, like, it's cool. It's crime scene. These are crime scene photos. Obviously, y'all think it's something like. I meant it's cool the photo that with it's the zip ties, not cool the photo yeah. of. Yeah. Cause they would have <laughs> exactly. said that. Well, I'm actually kind of surprised they sent it to you. We're not dealing with like the most, you know, intelligent. Well, I shouldn't say unintelligent. I should say untrained in CID. Like we're not mm-hmm. dealing with the best because they haven't been trained at the level that civilian has. But it would still surprise me if they sent it. So it still would surprise me that they sent you that photo at all. Right. Because to me, To have a photo of his duct taped dresser and his duct taped belongings is damning because so they sat down, you know, for the formal investigation. And my mom goes, what do I do if I don't agree with any of this? And they, you know, okay, we can do another investigation. They sent down another investigation officer. Now, mind you, all the men who are doing these investigations are part of the Ranger Battalion. Yes. Yes. This is, I was going to also ask you, this is a thing. Like, this is like something that we roll our eyes at with sexual assault, with mental health. Everybody is assigned from within the unit. So you're like, you're not going to tattle, but I I wanted to ask you real quick. Do you ever remember them doing any sort of IG report? I believe they did, but I don't remember. We might have it. We might, we have the majority of all of this stuff. I actually, we have everything now. Take a look at it, hopefully. But okay, so let's go back. So so they are like, okay, we will reopen the case. We will send another yep. investigating officer. Is that how that rolled? Yep. And we gave him everything. We found text messages. We found text messages from Austin to another one of his buddies that said that when this group of deployed comes back, they have dog fights and the new privates are the dogs. Yep. And wait, say that again. Say, I'm going to quote you. Say that again. Just say that last part again. What is the text? Uh, That they have dog fights, but we're the dogs, meaning the new privates, the new members of the platoon are the dogs in their dog fights. Wow. Wow. Okay. And Austin responded and he says, I gave a lot, but I also got the shit kicked out of me or the shit I mean, like I, I, I have screenshots. I took pictures. I printed everything. So we gave the new investigative officer everything. We said, here you go. Okay. They sent down a second investigator and he comes down and sits down with us, listens to our complaints, takes all of the information. You know, I had screenshotted and printed out copies of all the text messages and everything from Austin's phone. And so he takes it all and he goes, oh, this is going to take me a long time. I'm going to have to ask for an extension on this just because there's so much to go through. Okay, cool. He was done in like a week and nothing new. They don't condone hazing. Austin killed himself. Of course they don't condone hazing. (laughs) I mean, yeah, like, like, what a joke. Go ahead. And we, I mean, we told them, we know you don't condone hazing. We're not saying that. We're saying it's happening. You also you also condone sexual assault and or don't condone. You know what I mean? Like right. let's talk about all the things that happen. Like, it's happening, you know, and you're not doing anything about it. So, 
So that was kind of about it. They closed the second investigation and it kind of feels like they wiped their hands of us. Nobody talks to us. We were told that there's a gag order against us. It's not like an official gag order, you know, so there's like no paperwork. But, you know, oh, because the family's questioning the investigation, nobody speak to the family. So, I mean, nobody has spoken to us. How did you become aware of the unofficial gag order? Someone told us. I don't remember if it was someone in the platoon. I don't remember if it was our representative. But somebody up there had just told us, hey, by the way, you know, they're not going to be allowed to speak to you, which was weird. Were you guys able to request, because I had to go back, you had stated that there are some discrepancies in the autopsy, but you know, mm-hmm. obviously you don't do autopsies, so you don't know. Were you guys able to schedule your own autopsy by the family before he was cremated? We were not. So the problem with that was, so I mean, I'm sure you know, but of course they have them fill out those wonderful paperwork. So if you die in combat or, you know, deployed or whatever, this is what you want to happen. This is who escorts your body home. You know, do you want to be buried or cremated? Blah, blah, blah. So they had the guys fill that out. Austin had one and he had wanted to be cremated. So that's what we did. And at the time when they asked us, you know, they came back probably a few hours after the notification, probably four or five hours after they had originally notified us. They came back and sat down with my parents and wanted to know what kind of coffin we wanted him sent home in and what were we going to do with the body. And I mean, you're so numb and in shock from them telling you that your family member has killed themselves that you don't possibly think that there could be anything wrong with that statement. We certainly didn't think that the army was involved. He wanted to be cremated. We followed his wishes. So we weren't able to have another autopsy done. I've had a few people who have more medical experience than I do look at the pictures, but I mean... And I know you and I have talked about this privately is that, you know, you kind of really like regret that he was cremated. How is that frustrating for you? I'm frustrated just hearing it because it's like, you can't do anything without the body. Right. And it feels like we're never going to get the full story. We're never going to get justice because he was cremated, which is kind of crappy because they hit you out of left field. And then they give you this paperwork that your loved one is filled out and you feel guilty not following the paperwork. So you go, okay, well, he asked to be cremated. So I guess we'll cremate him. And I've had a few people that almost, when I talk to them about it, I don't want to say guilt trip, but you know, you're, you feel bad. It makes you feel worse. So like, oh, if you had just, you know, buried him, we could have done another autopsy. Well, I know. Absolutely don't take that. That is complete, you know, just don't even take that. You did what you thought it was best for him at the time. And again, Mm -hmm. you're under stress and you may have made different decisions now, but yeah, like don't, you have enough on your plate. Don't blame yourself. It's just, we didn't realize how bad the injustices in the military were until it started happening with Austin. So when they told us, oh, he killed himself, we were like, oh, okay. I mean, you're numb, you're in shock. Now, of course, looking back, once they gave us the reasons and their reports, we went, okay, well, that's wrong. But by that point, he had already been cremated. Well, and I want to go back and talk a little bit because I was thinking about this yesterday as I was trying to do research. Well, number one, I don't think you got any media coverage, which is a little bit infuriating. Mm -hmm. Your local paper picked it up. Mm -hmm. Numerous, numerous papers did. But I, I thought there wasn't a lot of coverage. Now, granted you know, a soldier suicide isn't going to make a ton of media attention, but that was interesting. And then I kind of want to go back. So you said he was on profile, but he had just come off profile. Yes. And was that an injury from basic training or was that an injury from airborne school? Cause airborne school can be very dangerous. Well, we'll call it dangerous. I will never go to airborne school again. It was crazy. Yeah. Dangerous. I think. It actually was an injury because he was being stupid. He decided to go down, they call it Cardiac Hill on Fort Benning. It's this real steep hill. And he decided to go down on a longboard one weekend. And he filmed it and (laughs) sent it to us. And I mean, at the end of it, he's like, oh, yeah, I 
fucked up my knee. Surprise. And he sent it. And of course my mom's watching it. She's like, what have you done? And he's like, yeah, but did dad, did dad laugh? Did dad think it's funny? So he was just being a boy. Ranger buddies, they like to, you know, egg each other on. So I would imagine he had plenty of company to help him with that. He did. Yeah. One of his buddies was at the bottom of the hill, giving him the signal to, you know, come on down. So he was not alone in that feat, but uh, no, so he completely messed up his knee. He, they thought they were going to have to do surgery. He was on profile. He was on crutches. You know, he was doing physical therapy you know, whatever he needed to do. They cleared him. And then of course he went to that training event. Now we found out later that I guess there was an event at that training event, I guess they were having them put on some type of belt. I don't know what it is. And Austin didn't get it right. But I mean, to Austin's defense, it was the first time he had ever put on a belt like this. It wasn't something they used on a regular basis. And this sergeant would not let it go. I mean, just harped on Austin up until Austin passed away. To the point that there were even other sergeants going, dude, let it go. Like the kid made a mistake. He fixed it. I remember Austin calling my mom and I and asking us to buy him one of these belts. So that way he could practice when he got back to Benning. I mean, it was like a $400 belt. Gosh, I can't even think about it. I'd have to, I can find it. But just something that I guess the mortars used. And I mean, the guy just wouldn't let him go. And we found out later this sergeant is really sketchy. He actually ended up getting RFS from the Ranger Battalion. They moved him to a completely different base. And when we asked why, they said, oh, well, he wouldn't shave his beard. Well, wait, when was he moved? Sometime last year. But after, I mean, obviously after your brothers. After Austin had died, yeah. I found text messages on Austin's phone really graphic explicit there's a picture of a woman crying and I don't know if it's I would assume rape my gosh and the text message that goes along with it says how it feels to be and there's another soldier's name in there right now which we were able to go back and determine that it's this sergeant's phone number I mean just a really sketchy guy the reason why they RFS him makes no sense they, I'm sorry, what does RFS mean? Does that mean banished uh, from the Ranger re- Battalion or? Removed from service. Okay. So they basically kicked him out of the Ranger Battalion because he wouldn't shave his beard. Austin joined the Ranger Battalion because the Ranger Battalion doesn't follow big army's rules. Rangers can get away with really whatever they wanted to. They don't have to shave. They don't have to, you know, follow the same grooming and uniform standards that regular army would have to. So that right there is weird to me. That's sketchy. That's a huge red flag that he was moved to. Interesting. Actually, all of Austin's leadership since then have been moved. Everybody's scattered. Oh yeah. That was another question I had for you. Did you, were you ever told that any of his leadership faced repercussions for his suicide or did you ever find out like, I mean, I, I don't know what they do for suicides. Do they counsel you? Do they ask? I mean, did you ever receive any feedback that somebody was relieved or? No, no. We were told that he hung himself because of his knee injury and because a girl didn't like him back. He was cleared from his knee injury. Which and is a huge he- celebration for him, especially if he wanted to go to that training. He yep. wanted to go to ranger school and he wanted to deploy because those are all things that he would have been held back from. So that would have been right. a, a reason to celebrate. Right. And the fact that he got to go to the training. Says I mean, a lot. Right. So, you know, why would you, if you just got cleared and got to go to this really important training and then you kill yourself, that makes no sense. The girl, he was texting all day Saturday. Austin was terrified of girls. I mean, like, and I mean that in the nicest way possible. He, it just wasn't something he, it wasn't in the front of his mind. I know he would get upset with my husband because my husband would deploy and I got left home. And I mean, my husband works on computers. So, I mean, not nearly anything that the Ranger Battalion does, but Austin would still, he's leaving you for six months. You know, it comes with the territory, but it, 
it just wasn't something that was important to him. So that also doesn't make any sense. Like Austin knew what rejection was. It wasn't like we grew up, you know, winning everything and never. Oh, you weren't the, you weren't the kids that got the trophies. Everybody got a trophy. That wasn't no. you. No. Okay. <laughs> Money. Okay. Yeah. I mean, our parents were very good with, look, you know, do the best you can. Somebody's always going to be better than you, but as long as you tried your best, that's all anybody can ask for. You know, we knew what it was like to lose. So their reasons didn't make any sense. We found out later that the, when CID came down and did their first investigation, they actually went and talked to the girl in person. She lives like 20 minutes away from us, but they never came and spoke to us. They never found out about him. They never did a victimology, if you will, where, you know, what was he like? How was he raised? They never did any of that. They talked to everybody else except us. So um, to recap, the so the recap, what CID told you, he committed suicide because of the knee injury, which we've debunked. Mm-hmm. We know that things were going well in that. And then the girlfriend, which you said you have text message, but have you ever spoken to her? I have. Yes, I am still friends okay. with her. Okay. He had asked her out, I mean, previously, it wasn't like the day before he asked her out and she said no. They had talked about it and because of the distance, she was going to school. And of course he was in Benning and they didn't think it was a good idea right now. So they were going to remain friends and that was up. And he was going to deploy. And so he probably just kind of knew that it probably wasn't the place and time for that relationship. I would assume. Right. Yeah. So let's fast forward to today. How are you doing? How is your dad dealing with this? Because you said your dad, you know, does have some experience. You said fire department, correct? Mm -hmm. So how are you guys like, how do you deal? Because this was 2019. How are you? How is the family dealing today? We're not really in a good place. It's hard. My dad has a lot of questions just because he is fire department. How do you hang yourself sitting down um, is the biggest question. I've kind of thrown myself into trying to get justice for him. But if I'm being completely honest with myself, I haven't even dealt with it. When I do research, when I reach out to people, when I talk about it, I almost try to disassociate because then it thinks, oh, I'm helping somebody else and, oh, I'm going to get justice and, I don't really have to acknowledge the feelings that he's gone. Yeah, we're not in a very good place. Do you visit? Now, is, does he have a location where his ashes are stored? Do you visit that? He's with us. So okay. he's with my parents in Florida. And we have kind of a, for lack of better terms, a little shrine with his folded flag and his ashes and his pictures. And it's right by our front door. So, you know, I talk to him and cuss him out sometimes. Yeah. I bet. Mad at him because there is a part of me that wonders what if I did miss something? I carry a lot of guilt. I'm really sorry to hear that. And of course I can tell you a million times over, don't carry that guilt, but I understand that you, I just want an answer. You know, I just, I want somebody to tell me this is what happened. I mean, to this day, we still do not know what day he actually died. August 25th why why do you say that? Why? Yeah. Why do you say that? That's an interesting point. All of his paperwork says 24th or 25th. One says August 24th. One says August 25th. They never gave us a date. They never said, you know, he's been down since midnight. He's been gone for at least 24 hours. Uh, Nothing. So we have kind of adopted August 25th because that's when you know, we started calling and that's the day that we really knew something was wrong, but his last known movement on the like app that they have on their phones was 7 PM, August 24th. Austin didn't go anywhere without his phone. And I know he was not in bed at 7 PM. Like all Um, of us, we always, it's a tracker for everybody. Exactly. So, you know, always on that thing. So If we're going based off of that, then he died August 24th, but we don't know. Autopsy, CID, the people investigating, they never told us. So we have no date, no time, officially, I should say. 
Wow. Okay. So yeah, this is heavy. This story is very heavy. You and I talked the other day and I was like in tears as well. I'm a little bit more composed today, but after reading about it and you and I again spoke about this prior, I think it's important to put this story out there again, because you did, I saw that you did do some social media on it initially, and you do have a a following on your social media and that's great. But I do think that there does become a time where, you know, you had mentioned the soldier is no longer with the Ranger Battalion. And then you mentioned another soldier that is no longer in the army. Mm -hmm. And I think that those are important things to note because the hope would be that somebody will listen to this podcast and say, Hey, you know, at the time that gag order or the things, the text messages that I was told to erase, you know, I kind of feel bad about it. And I've seen his, you know, I've heard his sister speak. I've heard the pain of the family and now I want to talk. So I Mm -hmm. just want to know on this podcast that if you do have any information about this, please reach out to us. And it doesn't, you know, you don't have to to give us your name. We're not going to report you to anybody, but I think, you know, you deserve to know the truth. And I think just by knowing you the short amount of time that I do, that your quest for the truth, you will find the truth. It will come. And and I hope for you that it's sooner than later, but I just want to throw out there because whoever has information on this case is listening to this podcast because there is the amount of guilt that you hold still And that I'm sure someone who was told to not speak to you or to not tell the truth also holds. So I'm just throwing it out there to the universe. If anyone has any information, we would love to hear it. We're not trying to like screw anybody. We're not trying to like, you know, convict anybody. We're just, you know, you are just trying to find the truth. And I think that sometimes can help with the healing process. And and like you said, you're kind of in the middle of like, healing, not healing, being angry. And I can imagine there's so many emotions. Yeah. So I, I don't have any other questions. I just wanted to know if you had anything else that you wanted to tell us about or anything about Austin. Did you get his things back? Were you able to Um, go through them? Did they have duct tape on them? They did not. None of his things were wrapped in duct tape. What is weird is we got the majority of his belongings back however there were items missing my parents had bought him a whole bunch of stuff at his basic training graduation a sun toe watch a I guess they called him a wubby but it was like an outdoor blanket sleeping bag type thing that I guess they need they had it engraved with stump on it they never came home we don't know where they are his razor never came home just kind of weird things. So we do have items missing that never made it back. Not quite sure what that's about, but it's a little weird. I don't know. I, I know people are scared. What does that mean? To talk for whatever reason, whatever the army threatened the one kid with that had the text messages, something, the army's covering up something. I just don't know what it is. I don't know if some monumental event that's going to make the army look bad happened and, you know, he really did kill himself or if it was hazing or, you know, something more sinister. But it is really upsetting to think that the people who Austin idolized since the beginning of his life pretty much were the ones that were responsible for his death. And I can't even get a legitimate answer. Yeah. I think that's heartbreaking. And I feel your pain on this. That's heartbreaking. I mean, he loved them. He loved everything they did. He wanted nothing more than to be a soldier and they killed him. So I did have one other question. I lied. When you see, because I do a lot of work with the Teu case or the Brandon Act, when you see other cases come to light, and then there was the soldier that was missing from uh, where Vanessa Guillen was missing from that mm-hmm. they actually found out later was murdered. When you see those cases come up, come to light in the media, do you feel kind of this like need to like, I want this to be Austin someday. I, I want the truth. Or like, how do you feel in those? Because that has to be heartbreaking as well. I kind of have mixed emotions. There is a part of me, as awful as this is going to sound, that thinks, oh my gosh, this is going to help us. This is going to help push Austin's case forward. And then there is a part of me that is like, hey, I've tried to get people to listen to me and nobody will listen. You know, why do they get 
all of this media coverage. And obviously, you know, like with Vanessa Guillen, and that's horrendous. And I would never wish that on anybody. But, you know, some of these other cases, I'm like, okay, wait, you know, what did they do differently that they're able to get on the news? You know, I email people and I reach out to people and nobody responds to me. So it's it's kind of a mixed emotion, I guess. Have you reached out to any of your congressional delegates in Florida or in the Fort Benning area? Have you reached out and asked these questions or are you unfamiliar with that territory? I know that my mom had reached out to congressmen in Florida and the media in Florida, and they actually had helped us to get the autopsy and crime scene photos because for whatever reason, the army was being really weird about it. And they were like, oh yeah, we're working on it. And it took them forever. So they were able to fill out freedom of information acts. And I think that kind of helped push that forward. So that way we could have them. But even what's weird is everything in those reports is redacted. The 911 call that we just got this year, names are bleeped out. Everything's redacted. But the army's still telling us, oh, it's a simple suicide. And why, why can't I know the names of the people who found my brother? You know, that's weird. No, that's gotta be, that's gotta be maddening and just downright depressing. Yeah. But so, I mean, we've reached out, but I don't know what else. All right. Well, I'm going to end us there because I, I know that this has very stressful to you to come on and talk about this. And I'm sorry for bringing up these emotions again with you, but I want to thank you though, for sharing this story, because I mean, after looking at the small amount of evidence that I've looked at and that you've shared with me. I also do have questions. So we will continue to push on this case and you and I can talk behind the scenes of like what to do next. So thank you for sharing your story. And I just want to say again, if anyone would like to reach out to us with information, you can find myself at podcastcarryon at gmail.com. And what, where is a good place to contact you? You can find me on Facebook, Chelsea Bush, or I can share my email address. It's up to you. That's easier. It's C-H-E-L-S-E-A-B-E-L-L-149 at Gmail. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us and we will be in touch soon with our listeners on what is the next step. So thank you, Chelsea, for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. 